0: Hello and welcome back to Extended Play, which is, as you probably know by now, a feature series where we and you get to spend a whole month talking about games.
1: And this is episode three.
0: This is episode three. We've already chatted quite a lot about Deus Ex Human Revolution. Uh, Just to reiterate, this will probably have spoilers.
1: Should we introduce ourselves?
0: We should introduce ourselves.
1: I'm Daniel Kruper.
0: I'm Keza McDonald, UK Games Editor. And very excitingly this week, we are joined by James Swallow. Hello. Who was one of the writers on Deus Ex Human
2: Revolution. That's right, I was uh, one of the external game writers. Excellent. That's my official title.
0: <laughs> so, you were part of the collective that brought Deus Ex into being? I was indeed. Uh,
2: um, I think they were over the, the four year lifespan of the title. I think we had nine different writers working on the project, had different stages for different amounts of time. But I was pretty much there, I'd say, about 90% of the time. 100% of the time. That's
0: actually quite yeah. a small group for a game, isn't it?
2: Well, it, it, it depends on the, the, the kind of game you're talking about. I mean, uh, Deus Ex had uh, a lot of different elements, a lot of different strata of writing Mm. from you know the the core storyline to you know the the on-street barks when you meet people and the the sort of um side quest material and and all the backstory so there was a lot of different tasks that were spread out between a lot of different writers and some of them weren't there for the full duration of the project some left and other guys came in so that's why
0: um yeah so last week we talked about your feedback on deus ex and the week before we talked about how we were getting on just in general with the game um thanks again for your amazingly voluminous and very intelligent responses
1: very erudite readers
0: yes very erudite readers apart from the
1: trolls
0: (laughs) apart from them but no everyone ignores them right yeah it's all good um but yeah we've we've been talking a lot about deus ex narratives so it's a particular pleasure to have one of the writers with us to chat about that as well
2: and it's a pleasure to chat about it i'm very enthusiastic about it and you know very invested in what was I've said this a lot and you know it makes me sound like uh, I'm kind of like on the happy juice going oh yeah everything was really cool (laughs) but this really was one of the best projects I've ever worked on I've been a games writer for 10 years now and this is uh, you know it it was a great gig because it was not only a cool team of people and a fun place to work but it's one of the few projects I've worked on where story has been well and truly respected mm. where I really felt like writers actually had a proper voice in the room as opposed to being somebody who is kind of a bit at arm's length. Can we, you just tell us a little bit more about
1: the actual process of writing, how is the work divided up between the nine writers? How did the writers okay. kind of
2: organize their labor? Well, the thing is, is people say to me sometimes, you know, Oh, you're a games writer. What does that mean? And it's, it's not the same as saying, like, say, I'm a playwright or I'm a comic book writer, you know, it's where it's just kind of one job that you're doing. Games writer is a very, very broad church and there's a lot of different things that you can fit under that, that umbrella title. You know, you can talk about narrative design, which is just the the idea of coming up with the core concept and being mm-hmm. the person who sort of, like, you know, understands and holds the whole story in their head during the duration of the project. That was the job that uh, Mary demal did yep. um, on Das X Human Revolution. Then you have... Let's see. You got uh, you know just writing the script for cutscenes. That's one kind of job. Uh, coming up with world building and backstory for for characters and environments and factions. That's another kind of writing job. That's almost like invisible writing because coming up with reams and reams of story about a character where they came from and stuff that may never actually appear in the game but is done there for the for the art or the design guys to get a feel for the characters. Mm. Then you have um, you know in-game dialogue. And then perhaps you'll have uh, just barks, which is the kind of you know bumping into people on the street and having two or three lines of dialogue from them. Uh, you'll have uh, in-game text. So if you know you, you're you're reading a log book or you're, you know looking at the e-books like we have in Deus Ex, there's all the text to be written there. So it's a vast undertaking. Absolutely, and you know, and, and that's just scratching the surface. You know, there's you know, there's loads of other little small jobs here and there. That even stuff like you know when you call up your your HUD and you're looking at uh, the text that describes a particular item, someone has to write that as well. Mm even down to uh, you know, writing the manual. If you want to write a manual that kind of feels like an artifact from in the world, all of these jobs have to be done by writers. Sometimes they're done by the same writer, but on a, on a larger project, um, you know, they're spread out amongst a mm. group of different people.
0: So a lot of the stuff that we've been discussing and that our readers have thought as well is that one of the best things, the most successful aspects of Deus Ex Human Revolution is, is the almost invisible writing, the, the environmental stuff. Um, the fact that things that are there are there for you to discover but not forced down your throats. Mm-hmm. Um, was this a very conscious writing decision for Deus Ex, or was,
2: was all environmental? Very much so, you know. I think the I always talk about environmental storytelling when, whenever I, when I discuss the power of games as a storytelling medium. The great thing that games can do better than movies, TV, or any other sort of form of storytelling is environmental storytelling. Is having the world tell you a story, set the scene for you, without actually having someone come up to you and say, well, this is the far future and this is going on. Mm. We're living in an oppressive society. Rather than having someone info dump, you can have the the structure and the nature and the design of the world tell you the story just by the things that you see around you.
0: That's so what we call environmental narrative. Environmental it? narrative. But we had yeah. a reader called Louis Medina, or Lewis, possibly, Medina. Sorry, I forgot your name wrong there, Louis, or Lewis, um, who says that if you... It becomes very easy to get lost in the story and miss a lot of information. And to get the most out of the game, you have to read, not skim, but actually read emails and pocket secretaries and ebooks, as well as listen to conversations. He says he likes this approach because the game doesn't force the story down your throat. And like in real world settings, conspiracies are hidden from sight in emails that shouldn't exist and documents that should never have surfaced.
2: Absolutely. I mean, Deus Ex Human Revolution rewards you if you look in every box if you read every email if you hack every computer because there are, there's a lot of density in there and there's lots of layers of story and you know and if you dig down and you mine for them you'll find a deeper richer experience than if you just kind of cruise across the top of the surface of it mm-hmm. but the option is there you know if you're the kind of person who doesn't really want to spend all the time and go in every nook and cranny then you can just play the game straight through but we encourage i think the design of the game encourages you to really give yourself to the world and just invest as tightly in it as you can
1: do you have to um, do you have to plan um, the narrative in a way that if people don't sort of immerse themselves in that world, that it still works him. for them? Well, do you to always a deg- have that person in mind who yeah, might I mean, not to, read to, every to a degree,
2: e-book? obviously, you know, thing is, is, you can't build a game that everybody's going to like. So there's going to be uh, there's going to be a point where somebody who perhaps is just breezing through the game and uh, you know happily blowing stuff up, if that's their idea of fun, they're not going to want to engage with the the core narrative of the story. And if that's per- that person's playing Deus Ex. They probably won't get as rich an experience out of it as the person who invests fully. And I think that's kind of clear from the kind of game that it is. You know, if, you're, uh, if, you're, if your idea of a good time is playing kind of, you know, Call of Duty and you like that kind of fast paced, action paced story, you know, not, not I'm denigrating those games at all because I love those games too. That's not the experience you get from Deus Ex. And if you're looking for that experience in the game, you probably aren't going to find it.
0: Mm, I think we've, we've figured something out over the weeks we've been talking about Deus Ex. Like our editor in chief, Alex, who's not on this podcast, but he's um, very much a shooter. He enjoys shooting things and he also doesn't have all that much time to play games and he's finding Deus Ex I think a little bit harder to get on with than like I am or Daniel is because we've got more time to kind of Mm. uh, subsume ourselves actually. We have been (laughs) subsumed. We have been subsumed by Deus Ex.
1: I think Alex is just on the edge still and he's playing it as a straightforward shooter and he Mm. hasn't had the time to go around and scour the world and find... Emails and you know really sort of integrate himself into Deus Ex.
0: Yeah, and it's, it is about buying in. I think we, we've talked mm. about this before. Right? It's about buying in. If you don't actually buy into Deus Ex, then it's not that amazing a game. It's it's still very good and it's still very polished. But I think if you don't properly buy in, you don't get the real kind of world changing wow out of it that you do.
2: Yeah, you know, you you absolutely do. You know, you need to buy the buy the e ticket, <laughs> you know, hold your nose, jump into the whole thing, uh, because that's the nature of the game. You know, it, it, it's a dense, story driven game world. If you don't pick up. And and commit yourself to it, then you're just not going to enjoy yeah. it as much.
1: Oh, was going <laughs> to. This sounds so pretentious, but Roland Barrett talks about readily and writerly text. and I can never remember which one's which. But one is a kind of text that repays the investment that you give it,
2: mm. mm-hmm. and
1: Deus Ex is that kind of. Play. That's
2: exactly what we were trying to aim for. You know, we wanted to create something that would say that if you know the the deal we make with the player is. You give us your time, you give us your intention, and we'll do our very best to give you a rewarding, deep experience. It's not a spoon-feeding narrative. It's- no, absolutely not. And, and that was something I, I remember very early on saying, you know, let's not spoon-feed people. So, you know, if you miss stuff, hard luck, you missed it. Absolutely. You know, it, just because one person, you know, didn't find a particular email, and, and so they, they're like, well, that, that part of the story didn't make sense to me. It's like, well, you should have looked harder. And yeah, I, I don't think it's fair on the other players who do, Invest all that time and energy to kind of constantly keep battering you over the head with with elements. Um, this is something I've seen in, in a lot of games. Is, is there seems to be um, it's almost a, a, a sense that we're not trusting our players to be smart enough to pick up all the stuff. It's like you know, there's an event taking place in a game, so you'll be going through the game, and someone will say, "Okay, this thing is happening. You have to you know get, go to the castle and rescue the princess." And then you you travel a little further, you meet someone, and go, "Did you know you have to go to the castle and rescue the princess?" And then you travel a little further. The other princess, she's in the castle. She could really do with rescuing. It's like, do you have to keep beating me (laughs) over the head with it? I heard you the first time.
0: Absolutely hits the nail on the head about why I love Deus Ex. It doesn't think I'm stupid. I really, really like that. I mean, even even games that I've loved dearly, like Red Dead Redemption, just so often, you know, you'll just be wandering around and it'll be like, you know, press press Y to get on your horse in case you've forgotten. It's like, yeah, I know, I know. I've been playing this game for 35 hours. I know that I have to press Y to get on my Mm. horse. Every time you want
1: to skin an animal. (laughs) It's the same button. Same same button button as last time.
0: Same button, yeah. I mean, in a way that's good because it does remind people of, of, uh, you know, people who don't have the time, what they're doing and how to Mm. do it. But equally, I think the whole point of games for me is to get properly lost in them. Absolutely. And Deus Ex is definitely that kind of game. I think if, if you don't have the time, you probably, sadly, you probably can't enjoy it as much.
1: Well, I think to almost augment that kind of experience. Augment we've um, uh, so had uh, okay. um so i didn't even think about that i was naturally punning <laughs> and um you t- you turned off all the objective highlighting and mm. just to really kind of immerse yourself even more within deus ex
0: mm. yeah that's right okay again it gave us a choice you know I, I did actually turn the object highlighting back on at some point because um i needed to get through the game and it was getting to the point where i was wasting not wasting spending so much time just you know poodling about reading strangers' emails, that I was like, okay, I actually do need to know where I'm supposed to go now. Mm. I also have a hilariously bad sense of direction, which I've mentioned before on our podcast.
2: See, I don't have a. I understand that some people felt like the uh, you know the the objective highlighting was um, something that ruined immersion. I think that's a that's a fair point to make. That's why we made it optional Mm. for people who don't. You know, if you don't like it, turn it off. It's not like we're forcing it down your throats. Me, I looked at it and thought, well, yeah, my character, my vision is augmented, so.
0: That makes sense to me. It makes yeah, sense it, in
2: the yeah. narrative of the world. It makes sense that I would be able to look at an object and you know it would be highlighted to me. But you know, uh, it's up to the player to choose if they want to do that or not. And it, doing it one way or the other isn't going to um, you know ruin the flow of the game. It's up to you what your play style allows you to map your character onto Adam Jensen and what it is he does as he progresses through the story
0: even terminator could highlight things couldn't he
2: when he looked at stuff yes you yeah. could evaluate. he's an old robot <laughs> and that was like 84
0: <laughs> so yeah talking about jensen really briefly that's something that's come up quite a lot in our feedback is quite a few people don't get on with jensen
2: and why can't you like adam <sighs> <laughs> he, he never asked for that no. He did the voice <laughs> <laughs> kidding
0: <laughs> yeah um there seems to be a bit of a tension between adam the character and then what you do mm. as a player, and I think this is kind of unavoidable in games sometimes, but for instance, um, my friend Martin was, was talking to me. He said that he, he, as a player, is a kind of weird, moody kleptomaniac who breaks into people's <laughs> houses, reads strangers' emails, and then just kills anybody who sees him. And then Jensen's like quite an upstanding chap, and he felt that that didn't gel. Um, the way I play actually gels quite well with Adam Bilynn because I'm a um, kind of slightly violent pacifist, if that makes sense. <laughs> I'm a pacifist who really, really loves stun guns.
2: Yeah, that's kind of how I played through it as well. Yeah? Yeah, one of the things about um, lead characters in in, in games, this is a great subject to talk about as well, is the, uh, well, they talk about the Barbie doll effect. Mm. Is that um, when Mattel made Barbie years and years ago, I think it's like in the 70s or the 80s, they were approached by a, a cartoon company and they said, we want to make a Barbie cartoon series. And Mattel said, no, 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 that can never happen because Barbie can't be allowed to speak I mean, I know they went on later on and they made Barbie cartoons, but at this point they said, the reason we don't want Barbie to talk is because Barbie is an empty vessel that every little girl who buys that doll pours themselves into. Mm. So the little girl who owns Barbie, she's the voice of Barbie. And you can see the similar effect in, in video game characters. You look at Gordon Freeman from Half-Life, and you look at, um, I can't remember the, f- was it the, f- the first guy in, in GTA 4. Was it Tony Vercetti? Or was that the second game?
0: Uh, GTA 4. GTA
2: 4. What, Nico? No, I'm not GTA 4. Um, I'm thinking of Grand 3. 3.
0: San Andreas or Vice City? No, before three. Before, oh, San three, before, 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 City. before either of those. I can't remember. I can't can remember the the
2: character in that one didn't have any dialogue either. And when you have the empty vessel, you as the player will occasionally find yourself kind of like you know supplying the, the, the impetus and the emotion of that character. And so characters will talk to you, but you won't talk back to them. But the moment you give a character a voice and a persona, that character starts to overwrite you as the player's character so you can find yourself you must have had this happen to you when you've been playing a game and you get into a circumstance and the character says well i'm going to do this thing and you think well i wouldn't do that thing in that circumstance but it's that character doing it it's not you Mm. and this is the dynamic tension you get in games about having do you have an empty vessel character like gordon freeman everything you learn about gordon is stuff that's told to you by the the reaction that other people have to you as a person but gordon himself is pretty much a kind of tabula rasa for Mm. you to play as you want with Adam, we couldn't really do that because we need to have a strong core storyline that draws him through the narrative about his personal quest. So what we tried to do was design a lot of backstory and a lot of narrative about who Adam was, but not who he is. So when you pick him up at the beginning of the game, we say, here is, who, here is the guy he was. This is all the things that informed him up to this point. Now you take over and you decide where he goes from now. There are some places where you know we kind of nudge you in a different direction here or there, but we try to make the play style that you you put out. We try to make that work. So if you want to play as Mary DeMarco used to talk about the asshole Adam, if you want to be <laughs> that guy kicking indoors and stabbing people, you know, beating up old ladies, that you can do that. And we tried to make as much as we possibly could the narrative and and you know and the the cutscenes in those moments reflect or at least be, be um, you know, open enough that you could, you could apply any of those extremes to it. It's very difficult to do because you, yeah. can't, you can't write a different cutscene for everybody's different kind of play style. So there's always going to be perhaps a little bit of a disconnect. And if you make it too broad, then, then there's no character to it at all. So there's kind of a, you know, there's a little bit of hit and miss you have to make in that kind of thing. You know, you, you can't always go one way or the other. You have to try and pick the sweet path that works as yeah. much as possible.
0: That oh, oh, yeah that does make sense I wouldn't say that Deus Ex fails in this respect at all because I think even if you don't get on with Adam or you have a bit of disconnect with Adam you still I think he still kind of stands up as a character from, from my point of view what do you think Daniel
1: um, absolutely yeah I don't feel this massive disconnect between the Adam that I see in cutscenes and the way that I've been playing him mm. I can imagine maybe if I had adopted a different style there could be but I, I don't know how the cutscenes change sometimes do they change significantly
2: no not, the, not really We try to, but we try to write them in a way that that they would apply, hopefully, even if you you know played your character radically different, is that hopefully that they would still they would feel congruous to you.
0: That is in itself a huge art yeah. of writing, and I think it's a very game specific art of writing. I think it's something that we're actually coming to terms with now as as a game as, as an industry. Game writers are actually people are understanding what a game writer does and mm. how important it is. Finally, finally, tell me about it.
2: <laughs> we still, you know, we, we still have a long way to go. I've often said that. I compare it to the way that game audio was maybe ten or fifteen years ago. Is there came that point where suddenly consoles and PCs developed to a level where you could suddenly have a really good operatic, theatrical score, and you probably you had proper orchestras doing game music, and you had proper sound effects, and suddenly the the oral quality of a game just leapt tenfold. And I think we're there with writing right now. Is that people are starting to wake up to the fact that oh, you know, we don't just have to tack a Crappy storyline onto the end of this. You know we can actually invest and make narrative a part of this from the very beginning, and we can add story and 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 depth and pitch and moment, and give hopefully players the same kind of experience that they get from reading a book or watching a, a great movie or a mm. cool TV show.
0: Good. Uh, you were talking about Roland Barth earlier, Daniel. The thing there is a distinction I think between readable and writable games, readers games and writers games. There's ones like Skyrim which are essentially writable games, and then ones like um, I think Deus Ex is between the two, mm. but then games like I don't know Battle for Bad Company is a completely readable game. Mm. You know, you just you spend a whole time, and, it's, and both are enjoyable for different. And there's, mm. there's no reason why one or the other of them should be wrong, and we should embrace. Well, those I love principles. Bad Company. I was playing that yeah.
2: yesterday night, actually. Were you? Yeah.
0: Uh, actually, we've not talked about how you played Deus Ex.
2: How I played it. Yes. Me personally.
0: What did, what did you um, think when you actually played the game through? How did well, it Yeah, you know,
2: it's kind of fun for me because the the the, the job I did for the most part. In the actual, the writing I did in the game that you will see as a player is when you look at the ebooks, most of those were written by me. When you look at um, backstory about the characters and factions and the, a lot of the invisible writing, a lot of that was done by me. And a lot of the core story, the sweet path stuff, the the main cutscenes, I wrote pretty much the first draft of almost everything that you saw there. That's pretty cool, not it? Those were pretty cool. <laughs> but I have to say that, you know, I, I can't take full responsibility for those or, or full credit for them because it's very much a collaborative thing. Yeah. So, you know, I'd write a draft and some of the other yeah, writers. So it's, it's a team effort. Um, I didn't write any of the barks I didn't write any of the second tier dialogue I didn't write any of the um, side quest stuff so for me it was kind of a, a weird thing to do because on, one, on the one hand I'm playing it and I get to watch a cutscene and I'm like oh man that cutscene came out really well oh there's that really cool line I wrote oh that's really great I'm so pleased <laughs> that's come out well and then, I, and then I go over to talk to a, a supporting character and I click on them and I have no idea what they're going to say to me and this character says okay can you go over here and do this thing for me and that side quest is completely new to me fantastic so i was coming at it not only from it in the point of view as a writer engaged and involved in a project but also as a gamer too so i was i was getting two kinds of great thrills out of it but my play style i tended to go for what we called the ninja approach we used to talk about like you'd have the ghost approach which is kind of like leave no traces leave no bodies kind of thing mine was was more sort of ninjary which is sneaking around but if somebody sees you you know take them out quick and quietly and don't be afraid to pull the gun out when you know when it all kicks off but Mm. Most of the time, try and sneak past uh, with a you know minimum number of alarms being set off, but not being afraid to beat the hell out of people when the need came down. Mm. So you had ghost and ninja. Were there any other ones that you kind of refer to during? Um, I can't remember if we had what names we had for them.
0: There's the all guns blazing approach. Obviously. Yeah, well, we talked it's about the, 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 we didn't really it's have a name work. for that,
2: were we? but we talked about like, you know the kind of like you know. The run and gun style approach, which the game really isn't designed it for, it doesn't really yeah.
0: work. I mean, this is something we had a bit in our feedback as well. People saying like, I tried to play it like that, and it just didn't work. So, and that they were using that as an, uh, some people were using that as an argument for it doesn't offer choice. Mm-hmm. I think there are limits. I think to today's sexist playstyle, you can uh, you can basically be stealth combat stealth. And a few other things, but I think ramboing it never pretty much works. Mm. There's not enough ammo around. It's, yeah, it's it'd just, be unrealistic
2: to do the run and gun. It's stuff. not that Absolutely. kind of. It's not that kind of game. Yeah, you know. and that's
0: totally fine. I think when when people say you know a game offers choice, then people seem to assume that it should offer them every choice to do yeah. whatever they want. It's like no, doesn't necessarily. Well, yeah, you, know, you could mean complain
2: that. that there's not enough platforming in there or racing sections. You know, <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> I want to be Adam Jensen, the uh, Formula One car racer in they 2027.
2: DSX Kart, yes. DSX Kart rating. You heard it here first. That will be the next one we release.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Definitely do that. That would be great. Um. So yeah, you, were you you were a ninja then.
2: Yeah, I was. I was going for the kind of ninja approach, mostly because again, I wanted to sneak and stop and look at everything. Mm. Um. You know, because it was just fun for me to kind of wander around the set, as it were. Stuff I'd seen guys working on in the office and then actually being in the game and going, oh, cool, there's that thing that he did. and Oh, that's really nice. And this set design that I'd seen pictures of that I hadn't actually got to play in. I was being a real tourist because I'd run around a level and do kind of all the levelly stuff and then and think, okay, I just want to stop. And whereas other players would, uh, you know, probably move on, I was actually kind of walking around admiring the scenery and the, and the craft of it because... I guess because I knew how hard the guys who worked on it had worked, and I wanted to fully appreciate and say, you know, I, I was calling them up afterwards, going, you know, that thing you did in that level, that came out really well. <laughs> nice work, good job, you know. So um, I kind of came out that, that sort of weird two-headed approach, you know, like half as a half as a player and half as a as a, an involved team member, I guess.
0: Was there a moment for you that kind of summed up Deus Ex, that a bit that you were playing through that you thought, this is what the game's about?
2: Hmm. That's a good question.
0: I was thinking about that the other night when I was playing through and I've got a few. Have you got any, Daniel?
2: It's hard for me to kind of divorce that question from my own personal experience as a writer on it. Yeah. Because there's a lot of moments in it where stuff I wrote or things I came up with or we came up with in the studio, you know, where we went, that's a really cool idea, that will play really, really well. And then seeing it in the game and seeing it executed exactly the way we wanted it, those are the things that kind of stuck in my mind. Um, you know, one of the characters that I really enjoyed coming up with was, was Eliza, the Eliza Kasan, the news reporter. Mm. And the confrontation where you, you you speak to Eliza in the server room and she does a kind of little move, move right at the very end int- where she says to Adam, I want to help you more but she won't let me and Adam says who and she just kind of puts her hand on her shoulder and points. Mm. And it was just a really small little moment but to me I thought that was really cool because it's kind of weird and ethereal and, and a bit sort of strange and and that moment reminded me an awful lot of of the conversation with helios that you get in the original game and it felt very as we used to say in the office deus sexy
0: mm. a lot of the time we, sexy. whenever yeah. whenever
2: we were working on stuff we would always say whenever we were bringing a new element to the table is uh jean-francois Dugard, our producer would always say is this de sexy does it feel deus sexy <laughs> i love that and 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 that would be like you know you know, we we did, we really should have had that written up on, on a on a big poster up on or oh, is it Deus Ex? Because every time we came up with something new, it was like, Does this feel like Deus Ex? Because if it doesn't feel like Deus Ex, it doesn't go in. Mm. Because we were very, very, very aware of the fact that, you know, it was a a game that's following this um this sort of grand tradition of being one of the most lauded titles mm. in gaming history. You know, whenever anybody talks about great narrative in gaming Deus Ex is always on that list is always yep. in that conversation Absolutely.
0: We, were, we were speaking previously about how many people who played human revolution played Deus Ex and from our feedback it seems that about about half of the people who wrote to us have played Deus Ex but that's obviously IGN's readership so I'm guessing mm. of everyone who's played it I, I think what 20 30 percent yeah even d- less
2: you said that when we were doing the uh, the BBC you know, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah and right. and I agree with that I think the 20 percent figure I think 20 25 percent would probably be about a fair assumption mm. That there's that percentage of sort of hardcore old school gamers who played the original game, and it's really nice to see people who are playing Human Revolution going. Oh, okay, well maybe I'll go back and pick up Deus Ex on Steam because it's you know it's available on Steam for pennies now.
0: Yeah,
2: and and that's no really no object cool. highlighting in that though. Yeah, but the thing <laughs> is, is it's a you know it's a very different game and, and uh, but it's a very similar game. Do you see them as yeah. complementary or well uh, they have to be. I mean you know they they take place in the same in uh, in the same universe. I mean Human Revolution is a sequel is a, is a prequel to um, the original Deus Ex we've got like 25 years earlier, I think. How do you think Human
1: Revolution kind of refracts the experience of the original one if you went back and played it?
2: You know what? I've been thinking about doing that myself, actually. Now I've played Human Revolution, I was looking at my copy of Deus Ex. I've got the, the Game of the Year edition I bought like back in 2001, and I thought, maybe I should... I played it before... We, when we started work on Human Revolution, we all sat down and said, right, everybody has to play Deus Ex again. Mm. And I not only did that, I played, also played Invisible War. I even went back and played Project Snowblind, which was done by the same team, you know, to, to steep ourselves in it. And my experience of playing Deus Ex again before we did Human Revolution was one thing. And I think I'd like to play it again now to see how, how that, my, my perception of that game will change. Because we worked very hard to make sure that there was connected matter, not only thematically in the nature of the gameplay and the style of it, but also narratively. So there are little there are little kind of kisses to history. If you if you pay close attention to stuff that goes on in in uh, in the game, and you read emails, you're looking ebooks and stuff, you'll see little mentions of things that will pay off later on. Uh, and of course, uh, another thing that I worked on is I, I worked on a, a tie-in novel, or an original fiction novel that, yep. that kind of parallels the opening kind of two or three acts of human revolution. And I work very hard to make sure that connects to the, the original game. So, you know, if you're a fan of the original, you can pick up the game or the book and go, oh, yeah, see, there's a little nod to that. And if you're not, it won't really mean anything to you and you won't lose anything. So it's not kind of like, you know, there's a big continuity reference your that you'll trip over and go, well, I don't know who that guy is, so it doesn't mean anything I'm to me. I'm
0: very much looking forward to reading that after I finish Deus Ex. Oh, cool. oh, I've got it sitting on my shelf. I think I want to keep it until after I'm done with Deus Ex. anything. I think going back to moments that defined the game for me, it was it was the first um, the first time I managed to get through an area without being seen mm. once. You know, usually I'm I'm ninja like you. I I, I you know incapacitate and kill. I, I methodically incapacitate everybody. But there's was one mission um in the in, in Shanghai in the first the first t- the in the lower tier of the medical corporation, whose name I've remembered. Kai Yang medical. That's right, yes. In Shanghai. Um yeah, there's there was there was a section of that where I managed to get through the whole thing about Thirty, forty minutes of hostile area without being seen once, and I just felt like that's 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 this game. That's what they've been trying to get mm. me to do, and I knew that I couldn't do that earlier. And I, the reason I couldn't do it earlier was I just wasn't good enough. And I, over time, I just kind of learned the patterns of the game, and I'd augmented myself sufficiently. And I actually felt like, you know, if I was Jensen right now, I would be thinking, you know, I have improved myself, and I have you know got to the point organically where I can do this. And mm-hmm. it just made me feel really connected to to Jensen then. It's I thought cool. that was that was a cool moment for me.
2: My the first time I ever got the uh, the the ghost experience point bonus was actually right at the beginning when you you're going into the Seraph Industries and the, mm. the terrorists have taken over. Um and I played through that. Um it's
0: the hardest mission for us, wasn't it?
2: Well, the funny thing yeah. was, is because I'd played that mission like three or four times, because when we were doing the early builds and we were doing the vertical slice, that was the first thing that we did. So that was the one I was most familiar with. So I kind of sailed through it because I knew exactly what to do and I knew exactly where to go to kind of, you know, yeah. put my way through it. And then beyond that point, the whole game starts to open up and there were bits that were completely new to me. It's funny, as I was having a conversation with a friend of mine who uh, is not a game writer at all, but a big hardcore games fan. And he was playing through it at the same time as me. And he said, did you do anything... Because you had prior, not because of your, your your secret insider knowledge, were there any things you did differently because you knew stuff was coming up? And funnily enough, I, I look back at my playstyle and I think there are only two points in the game where because I'd been because I knew what was going to happen in the story, I modified my playstyle slightly. Right. But I lost myself in it sufficiently enough that most of the time I was like, oh yeah, I've forgotten that you know that this thing was going to come up.
1: That feeds into something one of our readers actually sent in called Travis Bowditch. I hope I've said that correctly. It says, one of my problems with Deus Ex Human Revolution is the saturated media coverage. It's my own fault, but watching all the videos posted on IGN meant I already knew how to get past the first level. And the only way to save the hostages was to go via the vent and how to talk to the guy who was shooting the woman. It's not hard to spoil stuff for yourself when you're excited about a game. And there's so much given away in the marketing and the press.
0: That was, I mean, mm. Deus Ex was heavily, obviously, for, ob- for obvious reasons, it was, it was heavily, uh, you know, pushed in the media. And with us, I mean, we, we saw the game probably about 12 times before mm-hmm. it came out. Um, and a few people have written in and said, you know, I actually knew too much about this game. Mm. Do you think that affected it? Affected people's well, experience? I like? think,
2: you know, the, looking back at the, the trailers, I can remember going through the trailers and, and thinking, like, you know, oh, they're showing a clip from that that's interesting because there were bits in the trailers that that were clips from the very end of the game but the way they were constructed is is i thought well everybody watching this trailer nobody know i know that because i worked on the game but most people won't know that until they actually get there Mm. so i didn't have a problem with that i mean i think yeah you know it's it's a difficult line to walk really because obviously you know you want to build people's interest and you want to stimulate them and you want to thrill them with the idea of playing this game and it's like you know, you, you get the same thing with, with movies as well. There's always right. going to be some spoilers trailers. Out there, you, know? you
1: know the beats of all action blockbusters that come yeah. out from the trailers already.
2: How many times have you know, you seen something where the, the, the coolest action moment in the, you know, the, the kind of the wow moment the in, the, in the movie, the money shot, yeah, and it's right there in the trailer... And then you think, well, are you going to have a better shot than that in the film? Well, probably not, because you put it in the trailer because it is the coolest. It happened
1: shot. this summer with X Men: First Class. I don't know if you've seen that, but no. the the submarine bit, which is the the big um, climax. Where he pulls the submarine. Like that. Yeah, I saw, yeah I, that's, that's exactly what that's I thought the end of the movie. when I saw that. And I
2: thought, I thought, well, that that's the money shot right there. It looks really cool, but like. I've just seen the edited highlights.
1: Yeah, because you know it ties into the Cuban missile crisis, and they're on the Bay of Pigs. What's going? Well, it's got to be the end of the movie.
0: Let's be honest; most action movies can be basically edited down to two minutes without losing that much of the really mm. important stuff. <laughs> 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 with with uh, with games, it's a bit different. I think, mm. but there was there was a lot of coverage, and there there were certainly two missions that were ruined for me. I mean, it's press; you kind of expect this anyway. You can't actually avoid it. But there, there were two missions that were kind of ruined for me. What, what interested me is to see that you know people, you know, readers. Who were really looking forward to also manage to ruin little bits of it for themselves. Mm. I really hope, Travis, you enjoyed. You enjoyed the rest of the game,
2: and of With course, it. you know the, the 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 fact is is that all of the missions are designed to be played in different ways. So there's there's only that I think there's there's that one trailer we put out which showed one particular sequence being played in three different ways, but that's only one tiny little part of the entire mission. Mm. Um, there's the one we did where I think it says you know you, you you see him going past the guy and it's like well you can walk up to the guy and stab him in the back you can cloak and sneak right past him or you can climb over boxes and find a secret hatch in the roof but that's one tiny part of a much much bigger mission
0: I didn't realize on a random aside I did not realize that you could block doors off with vending machines until quite late on in the game I had so much fun with that just you know, I never even tried people that. People in one tiny room. People
2: were telling me that they that they did that, is that. they would like kind of like block off a corner of a corridor so that the, the, the guards couldn't couldn't get through to them. And I thought, God, I never even thought of doing. I've never that. thought of doing. It's that, great, either.
0: isn't it? This wonderful. It's, it's one of these one of these games that you do talk to people about it and you find something out that you didn't already know, mm. which is so rare these days and really appreciable.
1: As a writer, I guess one of the kind of enticements of writing is you get to control the world. You get to determine what happens in that world. But with a game like Deus Ex, you're giving away some of that control to the player. Is that something? Is that a conflicting impulse as a writer, to give away that control? Well, you know, or? I
2: mean, to be honest, as a game writer, you don't get that much control. Um, the thing about writing for games that's different from, say, like writing a novel or writing a movie is that, just say you're writing a film the project the concept begins and ends with you you know you write your script and you take it to a film director and you go here's my movie idea and they go that's great and we'll get these actors in and we'll get these people to build the sets and we'll get these people to do all these things and it all grows out of your concept as a writer games don't work that way no one will play a game because of great writing and that's for some that's really a hard lesson to learn mm. people play games because they want great gameplay and if you can have great writing on top of that as well then that's just you know that makes it even better But the thing is, is a great game starts with a great game concept. So you know, Deus Ex grows out of the idea of of a multiple choice environment and and the idea that you can utilize combat and stealth, and you have all these different technological, you know, gadgets and stuff that your character can apply. You could take that basis and write any kind of storyline based, spreading out of that. So you know, as a writer, you come on after the idea has already been conceived, so you don't perhaps have as much control over it. But well, in fact, I'm saying no. You don't have as much control over it as you would if you were writing a novel, where every single element of the game is, you know, comes out of your mind. With games writing, you know, it's much more a collaborative experience because you're working with level designers, you're working with art guys, you're working with, you know, game programmers, you're working with people who have, you know, a different kind of technology that they're bringing in. They might, you might have someone approach you and say, "Okay, well, we've got a game that can do this thing, and we want a story that will dovetail nicely with that." So that's kind of the game writing so experience. It's kind of re-
1: reverse engineering the Yeah, characters. yeah,
2: in a way, you know. And um, and it's a very different challenge. And for some writers, it's guys who come in from different disciplines find that very hard to to understand, you know. I've I've spoken to lots of non-game writers who say, "Wow, you know, games look really cool. I love playing games. I'd love to, you know, write a game. I've got this great idea for a game." And I always say, no one cares. <laughs> and that's the sad truth. It really is, is. If you're a games, if you're a writer and you want to write games and you go into a game studio and go, I have a great idea for a game. They're like, yeah, so does everybody else in this building. We don't want your ideas. We want your talent as a writer. You know, here's the game we're going to produce. We want you to come and put a good story on this. We don't want you to come to us with an idea for a game. It's a very different sort of way of working. But it's... It's a different challenge, but it's a, it's a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, because I, I sometimes I guess those limitations lead to inspiration.
2: Absolutely. You know, you, when someone gives you a box to work in, some people will find that restrictive. Me, I love that because I think, okay, if, if this is the environment I have to I have to tell a story in, I take that as a challenge. And I look at the kind of the corners of the envelope and say, well, how can I push that without breaking it? You know, how can you do interesting things within this colouring inside the lines and still make it cool? And that's, that's a lot of fun. Well, that's what many writers say about genres. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes, quite, very yeah. awesome. Cool. It's it's no different from someone saying, you know, okay, you have got to write a one act theatre play with two actors.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I quite like. Uh, well, I'm a journalist, so I work, but I quite like briefs. <laughs> <laughs> quite like being given given a given a box to work in.
2: Yeah, you know, because there's there's no kind of really and truly in any writing medium, there's no total freedom. You know, there's always stuff that's going to going to hem you in. Uh, with games, those those kind of walls are a lot more strongly delineate, delineated. Um. But I, I, you know, I love it. I love the challenge of it. I, I'm 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 really enthused by being involved in the games industry right now because we're at a fantastic period. Mm. I've I've said this before: is um, games writing is kind of occupying the same space that TV writing did when television was first taking off. Is you had this point when creative writers were people who were writing, people who were writing for an entertainment media at that time, were writing for radio and they were writing for film, and then TV comes along, and there's this mass migration of of radio writers television because it was a completely new way of telling story as it wasn't like film and it wasn't like radio and there was a completely new language to be learned and a completely new way of delivering narrative through you know half hour an hour long tv shows and we're in exactly the same place now with game writing because game writing is a new way to tell stories a new way to deliver narrative and there are no maps for these territories you know we haven't decided how to do this yet we're still learning and because the industry moves so quickly and technology's advancing and and you know there's there's new platforms there's new ways of telling story and being kind of in the boat on top of that wave is really exciting because (laughs) it's like wow what new cool stuff are we going to get to do and you know it's a challenge uh, and it's fun and it's a little bit scary but you know it's it's really cool to be a part of it and I'm glad to be a part of something like Deus Ex, which is, as I said earlier, is um, a title that respects and understands story and really wanted to kind of push it forward.
0: Cool. I think that's a good place to wrap up, isn't it? So that's, that's the, last, the last in this, this c- series of extended play. Inaugural. Inaugural series extended of extended plan. play. Um, but we will be obviously playing something new very soon indeed.
1: So join us then.
0: Yeah. Would you like to send your suggestions, actually? That would be good. If you could tell us what you'd like to play next as a Yeah, send
1: send any suggestions for what game we should cover next to
2: IGN.com.
0: You should follow us on Twitter as well, at IGNUK, and you can follow us individually. Why not?
2: James? I'm on Twitter at JMSwallow. I am at Daniel Kruber.
0: And I am imaginatively at Kazan McDonald. You don't really have interesting
2: Twitter names. No, we should. We'll, we should work we'll try on to that. be fascinating and funny. Yes, <laughs> in one hundred and forty characters.
0: Indeed. Um, so yeah, thank you very much for being with us for this for this first series of, of extended play. We hope it carries on for many more.
1: Thank you.